Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sarah Has Things to Say podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McCallion, and welcome to chapter two. Today, we're gonna be talking about another topic in mental health that's a little bit sensitive. Again, I hope that if anyone's listening, you're aware that it may be a little bit triggering if you've ever struggled with eating disorders or any kind of mental health issue. It might be a little bit, it might be a topic that you may be triggered by. So I'm aware of that. And again, I'll probably start most of my podcast just saying that if this is triggering to you, you don't have to continue to listen. However, my hope and my intention is that if you're going through this, you feel less alone and just know that I'm here to offer a sense of hope that this is something that you can overcome. I'm going to be talking about something today that I've never talked about with anybody. And I'm bringing it to the podcast because I feel like I'm ready in my life to talk about it. And although I never talked about it while it was happening, I feel at this time because I'm no longer struggling with this, I've gained a lot of acceptance with it. And that's what's made me, that's what's placed me in a position where I feel like I can talk to others about it. I realize that my story is not going to be the same as anyone else's story. And if you've experienced these kinds of challenges, it looks different for everybody. Everybody experiencing mental health, everybody experiencing eating disorders, everyone who's ever experienced a disordered eating habit, anything like that. It doesn't look the same for anyone. And so while I talk about this, I think it's important to know that I'm here as a safe space. If you ever need any help, you can reach out and you can always contact me and I can help you find resources. But I want you to know that I'm somebody who struggled with this and I was able to get to a place of peace and acceptance with this. So if you are somebody who's struggling with body image, struggling with self-love, this podcast is definitely for you. This podcast might not be for everyone and some of my podcasts might not touch your heart, but for the ones that this one does touch, I really thank you for listening because it's gonna be super, super hard for me to talk about. So I'm gonna get right into it. The story starts when I was in my third year of nursing school. I was obviously under a lot of stress. I was doing nursing school. If you've ever done nursing school, you'll know it is a very challenging program. Anything in health sciences, it's really tricky. I mentioned before that I have struggled with school and it was really hard for me. I always felt like I had to work harder than everybody else to get the same grades and things like that. But what had happened was I woke up this one morning and my mom came to me and she said, Sarah, something's wrong with me. Look at my arm. And my mom was having these stroke-like symptoms. And I was like, oh mom, we got to go to the hospital. She's like, no, I'm going to go to work. I'm like, no mom, we're going to the hospital. So within a half an hour, we got to the nearest hospital. And within a few hours, my mom had had a CT scan and she had and she had a bunch of other tests done to see what was going on and we sat there in that waiting room and I'll never forget the doctor coming in with the look on his face and I looked at my mom and there was nothing urgent happening like she was having these stroke like symptoms but nothing was happening to her so I was like okay she's not gonna die but something's happening so then the doctor came in and he's like did you park your car here yeah we did he's like okay well you're gonna have to have somebody to come pick it up because we're, you're gonna be ambulance down to the nearest hospital so if you you're from Toronto you know there's only a few hospitals that specialize in brain surgery and brain health and so what we found out that day was that my mom had a brain tumor it's called a meningioma and it's theoretically non-cancerous most of the times it's non-cancerous and it just has to be removed to avoid future problems and complications hers was really big and so that's why it was causing a lot of those symptoms so we got to the hospital and from there it was weeks of just her having surgery her being followed up with but in that time I was already under so many stressors I was in nursing school, like I said, I obviously had just regular basic stressors, finances, friends, relationships, things like that. And so in that imminent moment of 
worrying like what's going to happen to my mom? Could she die during surgery? And if you've ever experienced a loved one, you know, passing away or potentially being very unwell, you know that those feelings are awful and they're dreadful and they feel horrible. And there's nothing anyone can say that makes you feel better when you're feeling that way. You just want to lie down and you just want hugs or you just want someone to be around to support you. So during that time, things got very chaotic and over a period of weeks in her recovery, she did over weeks in a period of her recovery, she got better and thank God she's still here with me today. But I was very stressed about her. I took on a lot of that stress of worrying about, did she take her medication? Is she okay? Or is she on side? Does she have side effects? What's going on? And so I felt, you know, very responsible for making sure that she was going to be okay. And I think because I was with her that day, it, you know, traumatized me a little bit worrying that is my mom going to die? Like is something going to happen to her? So weeks to follow, I had exams coming up. I had a lot going on. I had realized that I had gone three or four weeks eating minimally. I hadn't eaten anything. I probably had like one meal a day. And throughout my life, I always was very athletic. I swam, I did gymnastics, I played soccer. I never had an issue with my body. I never thought that there was anything really wrong with my body until I went through that period of stress and I saw how much weight I lost. And then I realized, oh, if you don't eat, you can lose a lot of weight. And I had never really been on a diet. I'd never really thought about trying to lose weight, but at that time when I just saw how my body looked, I was like, oh, I kind of liked how this looks better. And it kind of turned my thinking patterns into this obsessive thought process around eating, around dieting, around exercise. I always exercised for stress relief, but I didn't really ever lose weight from it. So I didn't think that, so I didn't think that I ever really could. And so this was in my third year of nursing that all this started. And this trickled into my early 20s, into my mid 20s. And it's something that I only really came to recover from when I was 29, right after having my first son and having my second son, it was something that I really made peace with. And I was able to identify in a way of self love and um, and body image. I went on a very transformative journey after I had my kids. And that was where I was able to find peace with myself and peace with my body. However, during the thick of it, it was not easy. And I look back at that time in my life. And like I'm saying today, this is the first time I'm ever telling anyone about this. My closest family, my closest friends, all the people in my life had no idea what was going on in my brain. They didn't know that every time I was out for dinner, I was half listening because I was just thinking about the food that was on the table. And if I was going to feel guilty later for eating it, they weren't thinking about the calories that I was counting. They weren't thinking about the fact that I was weighing myself four times a day they weren't thinking about that. They were just thinking I was this happy person, maybe kind of interesting. Maybe I had interesting things to say then, or maybe I was fun to be around, but they had no idea what was going on inside of my head. We used to have family parties that I would start becoming very stressed about. If I had known that there would be cake or anything with sweets, I would not want to go. I wouldn't want anyone to see me either not eating, or if I ate the cake, I wouldn't want them to think anything about me. I started thinking about, oh, are they going to judge me for what I'm eating? If I eat the cake, am I going to be happy with myself later? Or am I going to want to get rid of it? So I never ever got formally diagnosed. I never saw a psychiatrist or I, I never sought out help for this disorder that I had. I never labeled myself as having a disorder, but I can identify now and with a lot of therapy in my twenties that this disorder really takes up and it consumes so much of your brain. I think about the relationships that I had back then, even with dating and how sometimes I was in a bad mood and my partner would have no idea why I was upset. And he would ask me what's wrong. And in my mind, I knew it was wrong. I had eaten a cheeseburger that day and I was beating myself up about it. 
And he had no idea how to console me. He had no idea how to be there for me. He was just like, man, Sarah's always in a bad mood. And I feel bad about it now because I think about like how all my moods were related to my weight, to what I was eating. And it had no, and it had no construct to the relationships that I was in. Obviously those relationships didn't work and they struggled because you can't understand somebody if you don't know what's going on. You can't help somebody if you don't know what's going on inside their brain. And it can be really hard to relate to people when you don't really know what's true going on for them the main reason why I kept it a secret and the main reason why I didn't want anyone to know was because I was so embarrassed about it I don't know how much we spoke about mental health issues back then I know that I was heavily into mental health issues because I was working in mental health and so yeah I got a lot of free therapy I got a lot of free knowledge and advice from the work that I was doing indirectly but the people around me I just didn't think could ever understand or I just thought that they would laugh at me or make fun of me and think like oh Sarah how ungrateful are you that you can't even eat a sandwich or you're making yourself you know sick over food and it's like I can step back and even at that time I was so grateful for so many things in my life and I would think about yeah there's people starving in other countries there's so many things that are going on and if I told anybody about this they'd be like oh you're so ungrateful for the things that you have and so those judgments that I placed so heavily on myself I projected out into the world and I was just I don't know I was probably really difficult to be around at certain times which I think that I'm probably harder on myself than people were. I mean, I did have lots of friends and people always tend to like me. So I don't think that people knew as much about what was happening for me as I did. But obviously when you're thinking about something all the time, it never goes away. And so like I was saying, this kind of went, like I was saying, this kind of went on for me throughout my early 20s and really relates back to certain lifestyles because in Western culture, everyone wants to exercise, everyone goes to the gym. So if I was going to the gym in the morning, going to the gym in the night, no one ever thought that was an issue. If I was maybe not eating or eating, no one ever really noticed. I was at an age where I had already moved out of my house uh, my, my family home and so the people around me were new I had lived with um, new roommates who were amazing and they didn't know anything about me from before living with them they didn't know anything about me prior to living with them so it was like a fresh start but also I didn't have to share everything that was going on in my life and so this struggle that I had was just something that was me against me it was me against this demon and in my mind I was like I'm determined to get better from this but I also can't right now and when I was stressed and when I was more stressed the symptoms were way worse like more starving more binging more purging and you know when you think about bulimia and what it is it's a it's a combination of people restricting food and then feeling really guilty about what they ate trying to get rid of it trying to have it out of their body and for me it was mostly the restricting food and then going through heavy periods of binging and just trying to manage my stress through eating whatever I could and that's the thing is when you put your body into starvation mode the moment that you have any food inside your body your body's like give me all of that I want all of that and so the other part about it is that there's so much stigma still even today around mental health and there's so much stigma around eating disorders when you work in a hospital and you're primarily caring for people with eating disorders the things that that the other caregivers say are heavily judgmental. And so I would hear those things in my working practice and then know that I was currently struggling with this. So I was like, why would I ever tell anybody about this? Why would I ever tell a doctor? Why would I ever tell a therapist? Eventually I did tell the therapist and I got a lot of help through that. But at the time I was like, people are so mean. <laughs> people are so mean and I can't 
take on any more criticism than I'm already criticizing myself for. So I guess part of this is like an apology to anybody that was around me during these times, an apology to maybe not understanding me fully, an apology to maybe not really getting to know me as much as I could have gotten to know others. Maybe it's an apology of not letting people get to know me as much as I could have. I feel like I kind of was wearing a mask for a lot of those years and people only knew a certain side of me and it was a very happy and bubbly side. But I refused to let anybody see that dark side that was really struggling that would go into a room and have a really hard time. And I, I'm talking about this because I know how many people struggle with this. We as a society do such a bad job at accepting our bodies, accepting who we are, loving ourselves. And we shame people so heavily for how they look, for appearance. And so during those years, I remember I was constantly looking at other people. I was constantly looking at other people's body size. I was constantly comparing myself to other people and constantly thinking that I had a problem. And in looking at myself back at that time, probably no one could have known what I was going through. And I don't think that I wanted anyone to know, but I also don't think I would ever have given room for anyone to ask like, hey, are you okay? Is something wrong? I did such a good job of pretending that I was fine all the time that it actually almost killed me. And the thing about it is that, like I was saying in terms of treatment and hospitalizing people, it doesn't always go to that point. Because I was a nurse and this was going on in my life heavily while I was nursing, I kind of had my limits. I knew that if I did this, I could get really, really sick. If I did that, I could get really, really sick. And so I would always kind of keep these protective mechanisms in place so that no one would find out. And the other part about nursing is that when you're working in a high stress environment and you have lots of shift work, you're working 12 hours, you're working nights. Sometimes you go the first six hours of your shift and you haven't even gone to the bathroom. You haven't even sat down. You haven't even had lunch. And for some people at that point, they're really irritated. For me, it was like a success. It was like, oh, I made it to 1 p.m. and I haven't even had breakfast or lunch. Phew, thank God. I can save calories for later. Like the thought process around it is doesn't make sense. It's not logical, but it's what the brain is currently doing to give you some sense of control over your life. It was the one thing I felt I had control over and it was the one thing that I felt was mine and no one else knew about it and it was just this thing that I was dealing with and when I got better and when I healed from this illness I could see how damaging and destructive some of these behaviors were but it was really hard for me to stop it while it was happening through the years of therapy and learning where a lot of these issues came from I was able to gain a sense of peace and acceptance with who I was and I was able to gain a sense of comfort with knowing that it wasn't my fault that I led myself down that path. The straw that broke the camel's back was my mom getting sick, but there were so many other factors at play for why I was struggling with who I was, why I didn't know that what I was doing was so harmful. There was also reasons why I didn't want to stop. And there's reasons why I felt like I couldn't stop. And um, for anyone who's going through this right now, or if anyone has gone through this before, Something I want to say to people around you and something you can say to people around you is that it's one of those things that if you're not ready to change, it can't happen. If something in your life is not telling you, I'm sick of myself, I'm done with dealing with this, I need to change and I need to get healthy, you can't do it. You can't make those first steps. If you're in someone's life that's caring for somebody who has an eating disorder, or any kind of disordered eating, the person that you are in that their life can play a huge role in how they in how well they do or how or how much shame they feel. I would say be accepting and be compassionate towards these people. This battle is so subjective and it's something that not everyone can talk about. Like myself, I was not able to talk about it with anybody and I felt like if I just overcame it on my own, it would be this 
battle I won. And so be compassionate, be patient with those people in your life. If you're currently dealing with this yourself, be patient with yourself. It's a hard road and the way your brain is wired to, you know, fixate around food, fixate around your weight, um, fixate around the what's on the scale. I I'm with you. I've been there and I know that you're not alone. And I think some of the things that really helped me find peace, and I'll tell you what led to sort of my recovery, which is kind of funny position, but some of the things that led to my recovery was number one, getting rid of scales. I I haven't weighed myself in probably like four or five years. I just don't. It's not something I feel is necessary in my life right now. I found forms of exercise that were not destructive. I found forms of exercise that I really enjoyed. I fell in love with yoga. Yoga has saved my life so many times and other low impact cardio or low impact exercises that help me know that every time I'm working out, I'm enjoying this. I'm not doing it because in my mind, I'm trying to burn calories. I don't count calories. I don't conform and I don't buy into diet culture. I remember back then I would go to stores and I would buy diet pills and all these kinds of things. And so now I just live a life where the peace that I have with myself is knowing that I give my body what it needs. I rest when I I try to rest when I need to rest. I try to exercise when I can exercise. I don't put pressure on myself. I have found so much peace in knowing that how much I weigh no longer is an identifier for my value and my worth. And it is our birthright to be on this planet and we are worthy regardless of what we do. We have a place and a purpose on this planet and it has nothing to do with the food that we put in our mouths. It's who we are and who we are as people. And yeah, so learning that my value is not placed by a number on the scale. I have so much more to offer humans. I have so much more to offer people. I am not just a number on the scale and whatever I weigh and whatever stage I'm at in my life, I will still love myself because I know that my body, because I know that how I look now is not a symbol of how much I'm loved and how much I can love myself. And so this journey started again, like others, when I got pregnant. So I got pregnant when I was 27 and it was the first time in my life where I had an immediate realization that if I don't change these behaviors, I could actually harm the baby that's growing inside of me. And from the moment I was pregnant, I knew I was ready to have a baby. I was okay with what was going to come. And I was ready to nurture and love this child like no other, but I had to make a lot of changes and those changes had to come really quickly. And so it was really hard. I had said to myself, okay, I have to stop thinking in the way that I'm thinking. I have to start thinking in a healthy way that I can care for this baby inside of me so that he's healthy when he comes out. And being pregnant was the number one factor as to what stopped me from doing what I was doing. It stopped all my behaviors. It derailed all of the things that I was doing each day to harm myself in some way. And I was able to find peace and love in this growing body and it made me realize just how amazing the human body, but specifically the female body. And of course I'm biased because I'm a woman and I've had a baby, but it is absolutely miraculous what happens when your body changes during pregnancy. And when you have a baby, you realize like my body is doing so much for me. Why would I hurt it? It needs to eat. It needs to be healthy and it needs to flourish. So I was able to, through my pregnancy, heal that part of me that I was really suffering with, that part that didn't like myself, that didn't put myself first, that had no respect for myself. It was like I was this self-destructive monster. Just, I don't know. I don't know what I was hoping I would get from it, but in some way I felt I had this control over my life that no one could take away from me. And throughout my pregnancy and throughout becoming a mom, I was able to transform the way I would think. I had been stopped in my tracks so many times by myself saying, Sarah, 
If you don't put yourself first, if you don't take care of yourself, there is absolutely no way you're going to be able to take care of this little baby. So I started really thinking about what that looked like. I was off work. I was on maternity leave. I had to start thinking about what does Sarah need to feel sane? What does Sarah need to feel healthy? And I'm definitely the kind of person who I don't outwardly display my anger or my destruction. I'm an internal processor. I internally process destruction, which means I harm myself over harming others. I hate hurting people. I really try to be a kind person and I really try to help others, but I really had to step back and take take away who I am with others and really focus on who I am with myself. I had to stop giving all this love and energy to other people that I was not giving to myself. Until I was able to give myself the love that I was so freely giving to others, I was not able to be, I was not able to be the same person in anyone else's life. So once I started to realize the, that how much, once I started to realize the self-love that I needed to take care of my son and take care of my body, that healing journey began. And I'm so happy at where it's taken me. It's now been almost five years, six years since I've struggled with disordered eating, disordered thinking patterns. I wake up every day. I don't think about food in that way anymore. And I am grateful for that. I know so many people who are not there yet. And I hope that at some point in your life, you get there because there is so much peace in it. It makes you feel like you got to the other side of something. And for me, that was really special. And I know, I know, I know, I hate, I hate that it took my son for me to realize that I'm worthy and I'm valuable, but I'm so grateful that it did. I'm so grateful that he came and he showed me that this life is precious and what your body does to make a human is insane. And I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to have a baby and for that to transform my life in a way that I never knew could have happened. Who I've become from being a mom is someone I'm really proud of now. I don't think I was proud of myself then. I don't think that maybe anyone, if they knew what was going on with me, would be proud of me. Maybe they would. I don't know. I just, I really want to emphasize the power of healing, the power of forgiveness, the power of self-love, and the power of channeling your life in a way where you live intentionally and purposefully, where when you wake up every day, you think about how can I contribute to this world in a positive way and in a helpful way versus how can I wake up in the morning and make things difficult for other people? Um, so if you're listening to this podcast, I really hope that you took something from it. I really want you to know that you're not alone. I want you to know that my journey through my disordered eating is not the same as yours. I probably didn't even go into half the details about it, but I I think the surface level is important for people to understand what it was like for me for those years. I want you guys to understand the power of stress and not managing our stress levels. Mental health is not something that we start when we're a child and ends at a certain point. Mental health is something that we need to look at our entire life because as our life changes, we develop different challenges that we have to overcome. And so I hope that you are always looking out for yourself and always caring for yourself. And if you do not feel like you're valuable today, I hope that you wake up tomorrow realizing that you don't have to do anything different to be a valuable human and to offer the world something. Until next time, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys will like, share, comment, and uh, be kind. (laughs) That's all I have to say.